0: Woo, woo, woo. Small dose. Self help from the hip. Small dose. We're talking that shit. Small dose. Keeping it real. Small dose. Me and M Seals. It's so funky. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm always excited about our guests, but I'm particularly excited because I know I'm about to learn a lot today. And um, it is to my chagrin, nonetheless, it is to the better effort of knowing where to put my efforts. And I feel like for you guys who are just really an action-based audience. I feel like our guest today is gonna really like put a fire under your asses. So you know her as the co-creator of The Daily Show. She is the founder of the Abortion Access Front, and she's the uh, one of the co-hosts of Feminist Buzzkills Live. This is Liz Winstead. Liz, you are known as what I call a right white, meaning. <laughs> You just happen to be white, but really you are anti-racist. You are aligned with allyship and you demonstrate this in not only your words, but in your actions on a regular basis. And I'm very happy to have you on Small Doses to get us up to speed on where we are with reproductive rights in this country and the way they're being usurped. So let me just give you all some backstory. So I was on Liz's Feminist Buskill Live and they were very gracious and very kind and and nice to me. But I felt like an idiot because I was like, I don't know the things they're talking about and I feel like I should know. But I feel like the reason we don't know is because it's by design, right? Like it's it's, things are happening under the currents, you know, beneath the molten lava. And, you know, that is the way that these things happen is because they're... They're masked so that the masses don't actually know what's happening until it's too late. So in an effort to try to be a part of unmasking, we have Liz here to just get us together.
1: I will try. (laughs)
0: Liz said I could ask any question. No questions are dumb. So I just want to start with, is Roe v. Wade going to be overturned and why?
1: Yes. Roe v. Wade will be overturned this June is the ruling on the hearing that they heard in the uh, Mississippi case, uh, the case that has been brought before the Supreme Court. For those of you not following, Roe v. Wade itself gave us the constitutional right to access abortion up till 24 weeks of gestational age, which is when it was randomly decided that viability happens. Actually, the court system sort of decided that and everybody kind of went, okay, that's fine. After that, um, many states will allow you to have an abortion to save the life of the person who's pregnant or the baby. So there has been all of these things that you've heard about, like Texas, where they passed a six-week abortion ban, which is against the tenets of our constitutional rights by about 18 weeks. Um, And they just said, sure, that can just stay in the mix. You can just keep doing that when until you say we decide. They, you mean the Supreme the Court? The Supreme Court. Right. Yeah. Which is wholly unconstitutional. Courts struck this law down twice. And what they've done is with this Mississippi case, they upped it to 15 weeks. And again, the lower courts, which is how these laws weave their ways through, not once but twice, the most conservative lower courts in our country said this Mississippi law is clearly unconstitutional, we cannot let it go into effect, we're done here. Like, get the fuck out. And this is where it gets really scary. Normally when that happens, the Supreme Court doesn't take up a case that doesn't have any controversy, right? There was no controversy that this law was unconstitutional, twice. So normally, a normal Supreme Court that actually cares about like the rights of all of us would say, There was no controversy in the lower court. They ruled it unconstitutional twice. We're not going to take this case up. The state of Mississippi said, we don't care what the court said. We want to bring it straight to you. And the Supreme Court, for the first time in the history of the court, said we're going to hear a case that everybody has said is unconstitutional. And the questions that they were asking around the case in the room has led all of us who follow abortion very clearly really take pause. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett, the latest member of the court, actually said, since there's laws in states where you can just have a baby and then go drop it off at a safe haven like a firehouse, do we really need abortion anymore? Like literally placing people with uteruses and pregnant people, like that pregnancy doesn't matter at all. Like She actually thought that was a good thing. We have a court that is very hostile uh, to abortion. Yes. And we have a lot of states that are also hostile. So I think in June, they're going to rule that this 15 week ban is fine and constitutional. And what that means is our constitutional right to an abortion at 24 weeks is gone. And that means Roe v. Wade is overturned. And for what that means for folks, it doesn't mean abortion's gone. Like it's not like they're ruling abortion's gone. What the ruling is now states can make decisions, basically, since there's no guideline around abortion, like 24 weeks viability was kind of a guideline, Right. when you take that away and say 15 weeks is fine, um, it means that these cowboy states mm-hmm. are going to be able to pass the laws they want. And just so you know how cowboy it's going to get, 12 states already put in place a law that says if the Supreme Court does what I just explained, overturns Roe v. Wade, within 30 days, abortion will be banned in all instances in those states. Oh, wow. Yes. And I'm not done. And I'm so sad. I'm the saddest guest ever. Another 12 states have laws on the books that are not 100% all banned, but a six week ban, basically a total ban that will also go into effect that we're just ruled unconstitutional because of Roe, those laws will also go into effect. So as of June, it is very possible that between 24 and 26 states in the United States will have either a total ban or a near total Texas style ban of abortion in their states, which means 75 million people of reproductive age will live nowhere near a place to access care and the closest place to them on average, will be 250 miles away?
0: (sighs) Okay, this is a very top-line question. In the macro of things, because in the micro, we can point out, like, this is a problem because on the basic note, women should be able to decide whether they want to have a baby, right? So there's that. On the macro of things, why is this so alarming? Because in my mind, it feels like it's the beginning of a breakdown of other laws, right? So do you
1: share that or am I being hysterical? You're being absolutely right. The systems of oppression that we know of are great. And it is in order to retain white supremacy, anybody who is empowered to take it down and reveal it for what it is. Those of us who are fighting the fight in the streets, those of us who are the most affected, women, people of color, poor folks, making sure that we don't use all the tools we have, our brains, our mobilizing powers, making sure there's laws in place to keep us out of dismantling the system are going to be paramount to getting them passed, right? And so sometimes you just, we talk about abortion in this, like everyone has the right to their body. And we say that. Yeah. But the very first line of anybody's self-determination who has a uterus is the decision if you want or if you don't want to have children. That is your first decision you make on the path to all the things that you have going on as far as what you want for your life, right? And so... To take that away from someone is, A, putting them into chattel status. Can you just clarify for folks what chattel means? Sure. What that means is you are basically property of a person or the government Mm -hmm. that can be moved around and transported at will. Cattle oftentimes is chattel, you know, Mm -hmm. um, movable property. And so it also means that they have decided that we are less than in the Constitution. If, if the government can decide when and if you do medical things to your body, you no longer are protected under the Constitution. And one of the biggest problems of why we're here, Amanda, is the fact that these laws are happening. There's probably 100 laws proposed every week in these state legislatures, trying to curb access to abortion. Our media doesn't talk about it at all. We have been, basically because there's not conversations around this topic, people haven't said the word abortion. We haven't we haven't given it its proper home, mm-hmm. which is a moral decision somebody makes or doesn't make in their reproductive lifetime. We have ceded the conversation to other people and talked about it in ways that make the other side feel comfortable. What does that sound like when we talk about things in the ways to make our oppressors feel comfortable? And so it's mm. crucial. And I'm so thankful that you're having me on today that we talk about these things and unpack for ourselves what abortion means for us and really come to the conclusion even if it's something that for whatever reason isn't right for you to fundamentally understand that we should never feel entitled to hold the destiny and self-determination of another person in our hands. We should only feel responsible to clear the path so that they can get there.
0: I mean, that right there to me is the root. And I feel like there's been such a concerted effort. Like, I I think I somehow managed to not be brainwashed by nature of like the bubble I was in of people and I got really lucky with educators that were very forward thinking and very like empowering of like ask questions, challenge, et cetera. You know, somehow that happened even though I went to school in Florida. I don't know, but, (laughs) (laughs) and I, and I, my mother's from Grenada and Grenada is just like a very revolutionary Island. Everybody is political in Grenada the, the random person selling you a coconut, if you ask them what party are you? do you stand for, they're going to be like, well, let me tell you something, you know, so <laughs> like it's kind of a DNA thing. But I feel like we have watched over time like a, a systematic desensitizing of the people in an effort to make them, one, feel like they don't have to care about each, each other. Right. Like at the end of every show that I do, I always say we are each other's business. When we look out for each other, we lift each other up because there's really become this like, it's a misnomering of like selfishness as individualism. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's just been a consistent dismantling of our social awareness, like of our even thinking it's our responsibility to know about what's going on socially. And so that's why like shows like the daily show, like we're cracking that very directly. Right. Like, no, no, you need to know about this. Here's a palatable way to know about this because they're really trying to make it seem like you don't need to know about this.
1: Yeah, and solve it. But I also have to say, even shows like The Daily Show, and the reason that I pivoted to try to do this hybrid of comedy and politics and focus on reproductive rights with abortion-centered is because shows like The Daily Show even said, oh, that's a bridge too far. Do really? we really want to talk about abortion and make people mad? Think about how many pieces in the past. If things are different now, we're changing a little bit. Okay. But, you know, when you have a still net men. Comedy, comedy network <laughs> and men right at the helm, <laughs> right, saying yeah. we'll bring the discomfort as long as the people who make us comfortable don't feel that discomfort. You can bring that. As long as you don't make me change. I mean, we watch it this week with this whole Joe Rogan bullshit, right? So we watch it this week. And, you know, I have a clip from 2011 where Joe Rogan is calling me out all these names, all this garbage in a weird thing that he just made up this big lie. And I was like, fine. But he also made up a lie that I sort of liked. He said that I hosted an open mic in the nineties where I pulled people off stage as they said something racist or sexist or homophobic. And I was like, first of all, it sounds like something I would do, (laughs) but I I can't take credit for it. And B, why would I book somebody in the first place just to pull them off stage? It sounds like a lot of useless energy. So (laughs) you're a fucking mess, buddy. But, but, you know, this is what we see all the time. It's like, oftentimes people when I hear in the activism that you do around abortion, and it makes it a little bit different than all the other things. And mm-hmm. it's why racial justice and abortion is very close and white supremacy and abortion is very close. But people in my movement are providing care, raising money for people to get care, okay, helping them get transportation to get care, trying to change policy. Mm-hmm. And where we have the hardest time getting folks, which is the arena I'm in, which is one— making abortion providers feel the love that they deserve in their communities. It's a very big part of our work. And two, countering the people who are coming out with this shit every single day. So you're confronting your oppressor every day. And that's really hard, but it's also really necessary. And who better to do it than people with the skills of joyful humiliation, I like to call it, Okay. yeah, but because I can't sit and let crackpot fuckwads who make up these ideas, you know, just say things. And it's been interesting, too, because then there's a push pull with white women who are think they're being allies. Like we did a sit in where we had 45 people get arrested in D.C. Okay. When was this? This was in December at the Supreme Court strategically 45 white women, because I'm not asking anybody I work with who is a person of color to get arrested in Washington, D.C.
0: Fair. Turns out
1: that's a bad idea. So they're like, where's your intersectionality? I'm like, "Um, by taking the front line so that Mm -hmm. the folks who are the most affected by these laws don't have to put themselves in the harm of policing? That's where it is. Like, understand that Everyone, person of color was like, thank you for staking to the streets and not acting like you care and then running away when it's hard. Right. You know, but it's like so maddening to me when I hear things and it's like, call me up for shit that's real. I step in it all the time. Like, how can I not? I'm a white person walking the earth. Like, please. But like, understand what you're calling people out on and people can be a fool.
0: Well, I mean, I live it, I that is my daily existence. People being <laughs> a fool, and me being like, why is that the thing that of everything I said? Why is that the thing that you are planting a flag on and dying on a hill for? I don't understand. <laughs> so, I know that people are constantly asking you, like, well, what do we do? What do we do? Because I know that that's like, you know, I think for all of us, like, we have great intentions. But the what do we do's on a basic note, it's like talk to your legislator, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to know what are the what do we do's in immediate but also long form? Because these people, this has been planned. Like, this was not like everybody got in a Google chat and was like, let's get this shit overturned. Like, if we track back, you start to look at things and you're like, oh, that was set up for that. That was set up. That was set up. That was set up. And I do feel like in 2024, we
1: will see Trump reelected. Those things feel so scary. I know. And I think that a lot of folks don't realize that most of the things that the people in my world care about, whether it's abortion, whether it's LGBTQ rights, whether it's policing, whether it's racial violence, those are all happening in city council meetings, mayors, state legislatures, and governors, right? And so it's the not sexy politics, but also mm-hmm. if you step up and pay attention, you really can make a difference, right? So you you show know what's happening at city council meetings. So what I say is there's a couple of things that we got to do. They've been relentless. You know, If you have, for church folks, if you go to a good church that's progressive and liberal, get your church folks together and talk to them. Because if you're meeting once a week, that's a place to start going in. And um, for those who aren't church folks, and this is what we're going to try to do, this big plan. So for those of us that aren't church folks, how do we gather and strategize on a regular basis, right? So, one plan that we have going on is after the Roe decision happens, we're going to create summits around the country, not go march at the Capitol. What is that? We, I'm sorry, like I've been to the women's marches. <laughs> I left right. feeling exhausted and empty, and I didn't see myself, and I didn't see abortion centered, and I just didn't see a lot of stuff. But what if you got together with your friends? Like, start gathering your people now, right? Get together. Ten at the least, let's say. Five. Two. I actually don't care. Um, Knowing and sign up at abortionaccessfront.com, right? What if we provided you with a toolkit right after the road decision comes down? The weekend after, we're all going to gather in places. You can look up in your city where there's a gathering. Or if you just want to gather with your friends in a house, you get a Zoom meeting up with Three times throughout a six-hour period, there'll be a really dope conversation with really smart people. And in the interim, you're going to have a toolkit that has a calendar and guidelines of all the stuff you're going to do so that you're literally with your friends making a difference, leading towards those elections in 2022, because that's important, but also being able to pick and choose what you have capacity for. You know, being able to attend a couple different seminars to hear some big ticket ways that we need to make change and deciding what bucket you want to go in and what speaks to you, because what speaks to you is what's going to keep you in the game. Right. If somebody just tells you do this one thing, if that's not your jam or you feel uncomfortable, you're not a confrontational person, but maybe it's important to you to figure out how. The patients who are going to suffer the most get love and support and care. And you can either donate, and if you don't have money, it gives you ways to help in other ways. So you can be a physical presence. Right. If you're somebody who cares about the three creeps that are in your state legislature, and you, you don't even have to live in their district, but you want to learn about them and help do that, mm-hmm. somebody that can help you figure out ways to do that. You know, you get together with 20 people, and these are all things that are going to be in the toolkit get some hospital gowns and go every day and wait in that legislator's office for your exam. Oh, you're my gynecologist. <laughs> I'm here for your my exam. Oh, you're not my gynecologist and so why are you telling me this? It's got to right. be one or the other. Right. But until you stop being my gynecologist, I'm going to come here every day and demand that you look at my vagina. <laughs> Tell me that I'm okay. You know, creating fun actions. Yes. Taking care of the providers and the patients. Destigmatizing abortion, and then really, really, really highlighting who the folks are who are trying to oppress us and taking back the narrative of our freedoms and what we want. And so to be able to hear from really smart people to give you really good ideas, and then to have this thing that you can do every week, and then to be able to check back in with your communities to say, hey, we thought of this idea and we're going to share it with the group. And then if somebody in Columbus, Ohio did a really cool thing, somebody in Jackson, Mississippi would be like, that's really fun. I'd love to do that. I'm crafty. I can <laughs> bake things. I right. can do things. Because if there's not laughing and there's not dancing and there's not ideas and there's not community, they win. They're going to isolate us. And, and yes. we're already isolated. COVID came. I mean, like I was going to say, COVID came at the wrong time. Like there's a good time for COVID. You know? <laughs> But like in a time when we need to see each other and learn from each other and center all of our strengths to create like really fun change, it just has been a mess for all of us. Just trying to survive every day and just trying to be good to yourself. I mean, that in and of itself is a radical act. So all those things come into play. But having the support you need and the team you need and skill sets of all your friends and bringing them together to make change with somebody giving you the guidelines of how to do it, to me, that's what we need and that's what we want to do. So really look out for this big announcement coming from us in in like mid-April, early May about like how we can gather. Because we got to gather, but we got to hear information that we can turn into action, not just. Being la la la, I got a weird hat on, and I'm just got a sign, yeah. and I'm not. Nah. I'm just annoyed. Yeah, know? I mean, like it's more than annoyed because for every person that can help, there's a person who has no access to even help themselves. That might be right. pregnant. Right, and I want to be able to. I want that person to see that there's all these avenues for them to access the help they need. That That's a safe place for them because, I mean, I'm sure you've all seen, like, it's terrifying when you go to a clinic like Jackson, Mississippi, right? It's the last clinic in the state. And every day they do procedures. There are between 20 and 150 white men screaming at patients coming through in a state that reproductive age people are primarily black women. Mm-hmm. Walking through white men, demonizing them. And when your escort team is white, and that historic relationship where a young, vulnerable black woman has to look at somebody like me and have trust in me, I I I'm thankful every time that they actually show that trust and I'm also 100% aware when they don't have the trust at all. But they know that if it's between that creepy white guy and this white woman, like that they got to come. Mm-mm. It's it's unbelievable. Why don't we pay these escorts so that the diversity we could diversify the escort programs so that people could look like people coming in. If you have a if you have a diversification of people, a patient could look and see a face that they understand and trust, that's really important. Folks who are working on the weekends, they can't as they can't help escort. We never pay people to do really good jobs. We always that's- ask people to do incredibly important work for nothing. Have a bake sale. Fuck you. <laughs> I don't want to have a bake sale. We shouldn't have a bake sale to help somebody go through the hardest day of their life with dignity and compassion. That shouldn't be a bake sale job. That's a job.
0: That's a job. That's a job. I mean, to be honest, you know, you're awakening my eyes to things that I... Like, I didn't even know that was a job. Like, I didn't know that that was... I mean, when you're saying it, it makes absolute perfect sense that this is a necessity. You know, when I see footage, I feel like I end up just seeing, you know, folks trying to muddle their way through. But I'm, the necessity for escorts, particularly when we see this law come down and there's even a smaller number and these folks will travel to go harass that even smaller number of spaces where people can access care. And they're doing this at places at will. So like they don't know, like if you're at a Planned Parenthood, you don't know why someone's going in to that Planned Parenthood. Right? I mean, I'm somebody who for all of my college years relied on Planned Parenthood for my reproductive care, for my pill, for my... Uh, pap smears, et cetera. Yeah.
1: So, you know, you're right. There's the macro, you know, and then micro and like things that we like to do as an organization. So if you're into like patient care and let's say you're somebody who likes to do, you have a good demeanor to escort people in because it takes a demeanor. It it's takes a de- time, Yes. It is right? a disposition. A time, right. Yes. So that might be for you. Something else we do that I absolutely love is there are churches in New York City, in all four boroughs, five boroughs, four. We don't go to Staten Island. I just don't even get <laughs> Whatever. Like, come, come after me. Come after me. But there are churches that are near abortion providers within three or four blocks that once a month on a Saturday, they hold a specific service at their church for the unborn. And I'm putting air quotes up. And then they walk down to the facility and they harass the patients. Shut so, up! Yes, but wait. Here's the fun part. So what we decided to do is stand outside their church with a, a f- between. We try to get at least fifty people with signs and music. And when they start their processional, we dance in front of them legally to slow their roll. And it takes what take what's normally a four and a half minute walk. Turns into 90 minutes oh. <laughs> and the patients get into their yes. procedures without the harassers on that day. So figuring out ways to, to impede, stop the mm-hmm. stop that is like one of the jams that we do, um, you know, and then just you've got to talk to people never get together and like have a brunch and invite their state rep to their home. They will come. They will show up. Oftentimes they didn't win by a landslide. Right, 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 right. They will show up. If you had a brunch with your neighbors, right, and you invited them and told them, and this is the thing they never hear that not only do I need you to be pro choice, but I actively need you to protect access to abortion. For my neighbors and birth control. And my vote for you is going to depend on that. Mm -hmm. There's no consequences for people. They they feel like they have us in our pockets. And that's what happens so often to women is they look at us and they go, well, women will just vote for us anyway. So we can kind of ignore these hard issues Mm -hmm. and we can just move on. And it's like, no. And then if we do win by the skin of our, you know what, Mm -hmm. it's because white women didn't show up because they have 87 lines of fallback if their rights get taken away Right, and black women show up every time. And for the white women who say, thank you for showing up, it's like. Black women aren't doing it for you. Black (laughs) women are doing it because survival is a part of being a person in the world. Like, understand that. And also how insulting. Like, do it for other people. Do it, you know, do you not want to survive? And have you not used birth control or had an abortion to help you become who you are? If you have, and you have not looked at it as part of your responsibility to ensure that the people coming after you have that access and you're kind of a jerk or you just didn't think to it but like if you did think to it and you just bypass it I got mine and moving on yeah what are we doing what are we doing the world doesn't work that
0: way but I love that you simplify the ask because, Well, you just said, like, in terms of like, let's say my state legislator comes to a brunch. What are we really trying to get? You know, and as it's it's so basic access to abortion and access to resources that inform our choice on how we use our bodies. Right. Because I think that's also the confusing part for a lot of folks, too, the problem feels so big sometimes that it's like, I don't even know where the entry point is to how this gets talked about. How do I, if I'm not an expert like Liz, how do I even talk about this? How do I even begin to get involved? So, when you simplify it down to that, like, real just grain of salt, it really makes it to me accessible to everyone in terms of how they can be a part of the conversation. I have a lot of Black women listeners. I think that, you know, sometimes what ends up also convoluting this conversation is when Planned Parenthood gets in the conversation and then we start talking about Margaret Singer and how shady McWadey she was and racist, etc., it starts to splinter off, right? Folks who, at the beginning of the conversation, are like, yeah, rights right to our bodies. bodies, like, like that, that makes, makes- sense, And there's these tactics that get thrown in that then decentralize that and make it more about their first priority, which for a lot of Black women is around racism, right? Mm -hmm, So for mm -hmm. a lot of Black folks, the first priority is around racism and just the continual oppressive nature of this nation and the effort to, like, just make Black people either not appear— not exist or not have access to things that allow for our own access to joy, right? Yep. So I feel like so often that gets manipulated as the thing that makes folks who normally would support this conversation decentralize it in their focus. How
1: do we re-centralize it? So what I would say is, if we need to go back to the racist eugenicist white lady at the turn of the century... Find me the other eight who were not that back in the turn of the century. You know, it's like she came from a time and a place. And I will not apologize for Margaret Sanger's eugenics. I won't. It it was a thing and it was real. But everything in our country was founded on white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Every single thing, our foundation. And so if we're going to move forward on opening up where we're at, Mm -hmm. let's teach about Margaret Sanger, learn about what that is and who she was. The context that created her. Yeah. I'm not in the Margaret Sanger fan club. Planned Parenthood changed the name of their center. Right. They dropped their award. And that was part of like, let's just hide the bad part because she did good things. No, shine light on everything and show the evolution of a movement. Hmm. That's what you got to do. You got to disinfect everything. My dad's first cousin was a terrible person. Like, I, like you know, we all have terrible people. If you, you know, Like, mm-hmm. you just go in. I'm not going to, like, you know, whatever. But I think that it's important that we know that. And also, in looking at who's caring for folks having abortions, It's mostly women of color. When you go to clinics, and I've been and traveled around the country, it's part of what we do in providing um, care and self-care for Mm -hmm. the people who provide the care. One of the greatest actions that we did was there's a clinic in Detroit at Mile 7. And the people who work at that clinic, it's probably, I don't know, 85% Black women just doing their work. And there's a park down the street from the clinic. And... What we did was we got bouncy houses and grills and bubble machines and snow cone machine. (laughs) And everybody, we invited the neighborhood. And then we invited all the workers and all their kids to come together and meet each other. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And we got backpacks for all the kids for back to school. And we just did all the grunt work. We ran the bouncy house and we cooked all the food, all of my team. And they, the neighbors got to know the people who worked at the clinic and then the clinic became important to the neighborhood. I see. Yeah. And it was so fun. And to be able to orchestrate it in a way too, where when you do advocacy for folks, you have to meet them where they live. You know, you can't go into a clinic and say, we're having a happy hour for you at five. It's like, I have to pick up my kids. I can't go to a five o'clock happy hour. So it's like, we're going to close the clinic down for half a day. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get paid for that half a day and your kids are going to come and you're going to go get your kids from school and you're going to bring them back. You don't have to make dinner tonight. We'll have wine for you. You know, you come over here and have wine. (laughs) Um, And it's just things like that, that connects everybody together. And because a lot of times too, and this is something that's just so true. A lot of folks who work in abortion care, their relatives don't know what they do because they can't tell them because it may put a rift in the family. There may be people who have feel a type of way yeah. about abortion. And so they have to hide who they are. And when people have to keep that a secret, always providing spaces and public-facing commentary. And that's why I love what you do so much, because I'm sure you know this, but I'm just going to remind you. So many people are alone in a lot of their feelings. And to be able to watch somebody every day affirm their struggle, their their right to joy, their right to who they love and what they do, mm-hmm. their right to exist, like affirmations sometimes come very few and far between for a lot of people. And so to be able to provide that for folks is really important to me. I mean,
0: a lot of I'm also doing it for myself, right? Like we in this yeah. together, like it's really <laughs>
1: Yeah, it feels great to do it for yourself, but also just and remembering, jeez. you know, I can't tell you when I tell my abortion story, how many people will just send me a private message on Facebook or yeah. Twitter and said, like, I sit with this alone. Thank you for mm-hmm. being a I I can read this. I can watch this video over and over again of you saying these things.
0: It's a wild time right now, also because we're in the middle of a collapse, which means there's like so many things crumbling that you're like, which way do I look today? Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, like as you're talking, I'm like, okay, how do I integrate this into the work that we're doing around trying to challenge? the erasure of Black education, right? Of like, how do I integrate this into the work that we're doing around challenging police brutality? How do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, how like it becomes? Yeah, it's almost like you have to have a like you know how you have chore lists in the house, you know? Where yeah. It's, <laughs> it's well,
1: like, I also think too, like, they're like when you look at the reproductive justice movement as a whole, mm-hmm. and for your listeners who don't understand this larger umbrella, like I'm talking about abortion access as part of this larger movement of who do you center, who is harmed, who do we, who is, you know, the the people that are most affected. Um, But the reproductive justice movement is a movement that was, you know, started by the incredible Tony Bond, a bunch of uh, black radical women who decided that it's a larger conversation. And all of these things are intersections, right? Like, you know, the, the very notion that you should be able to, have the children you want, parent them in a healthy and safe environment. And what are all those justice? They're all intersected, right? You deserve to have the uh, the dignified abortion you want. You deserve to have a a child that's free from violence. You deserve, if you are a person who is struggling with money, you deserve to have a a country and services that help Mm -hmm. you through that. I often say, if we want real equality, what we actually need to say is, if you're pregnant and you're 15 and you decide that you want a parent at 15, we should be able to provide those resources for you yes. so you can thrive and be happy. Yes. If, you're, if you're 35 and have two kids and got pregnant and you don't can't accommodate a third kid, we should be able to help you thrive to raise those kids you have. Yeah. In an environment that's free from police violence, that's uh, doesn't have a carceral system that is torturing people, doesn't have a carceral system at all, does not it, you know chain people to beds when they're having children. That are has there examples air. of this in other countries? I that's a really good question, and I would say. The difference when it comes to abortion anyway in other Mm -hmm. countries, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, you know, they don't have later abortions in all these other countries. No one has it. They stop it. Well, A, they do have later abortions in the case of saving people's lives, um, but they have no need for it because abortion is accessible. It is not legislated and it's mostly paid for the by the government. Any doctor can provide one. You can get abortion pills and take them home. So when you find out you're pregnant, if your decision is that you do not want to parent, Mm -hmm. that have that pregnancy come to fruition, you can walk and for free have an abortion without people shaming you.
0: Right. That data isn't even available in the same way because no, no. the system isn't set up to collect the system it.
1: Isn't, no the system is set up to collect and there's countries, of course, that are, you know, when you look at Central American countries and South American countries where abortion is criminalized and it's terrible, you know, that is also an existing thing. But it feels is that like attached the, to Catholicism and how like Yes, most of the time. Is. Yes, a hundred percent. And we just saw last month a person who was having a life-killing pregnancy. And the doctor was like, well, I couldn't really tell if the pregnancy was killing her or not, and I didn't want to go to jail, so I didn't provide the abortion, and that person died. And then the government of Poland was like, oh, you could have performed the abortion. And the doctor's like, how am I to know that? And so, you know, this is why these laws are so terrible, because when when a physician has to weigh whether or not they'll go to jail for life, if they help somebody, yeah. with with a procedure— that is just to be clear, for those of y'all that aren't like clear on actually abortion, an early abortion takes five minutes. There is no cutting. there is no surgery. It is the cleaning of your uterus with a small um, suction vacuum device in mm-hmm. late there's no cutting, there's no surgery. It's safer than aspirin. It's safer than a colonoscopy. It's safer than getting your wisdom teeth out. Wow. And so it's pretty astounding and and the fact that it's those things are just unknowns to most folks I know. Smart, educated folks going about their lives just doing their thing and I drop the facts and they're like, "Why don't we know this?" And it's like cuz for years nobody's allowed it to be okay to talk about abortion and therefore the other side has dominated the narrative and thrown yes. those scary pictures at you, pretending that that's what's happening, and just created laws that make you think on their face that they sound reasonable. Why shouldn't we have a waiting period? You know, why shouldn't we say, hey, you know, why don't you just take 24 hours to think about that abortion? And I'll tell you why. Because A, if I'm here, <laughs> I've thought about it. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Exactly. It's not and a gun. Yeah, that's you don't exactly get, right. You don't. You don't go seek out an abortion. Well, it's very rare to anyone I know that has had an abortion to seek out an abortion as a knee jerk response or as something that is going to be an inciting of harm for anybody else. Like people, like they're treating it as
1: if it is a gun. Yes, and. The thing that I think that I'd love folks to really sort of um, bite off for a second is that many states, most states now have a waiting period of either 24, 48, or 72 hours, right? So there's the logistical piece to it of if you're a low-income person and you have to wait 24, 48, 72 hours, you might have to travel to another state. How are you going to pay for child care? How are you going to get off work? How are you even going to get there? What if you don't have a car? There's that piece, Right. But the bigger piece that I'd like people to think about that goes back to the very, one of the first questions you asked me, which is how does this affect us and why are they doing it in the larger, Yeah, is if you normalize asking women to wait, legislating waiting periods, what you're doing is you're creating a societal norm that says we don't trust you enough mm-hmm. to make your own decisions. Yeah. And, and we as a government and as a society feel you need paternalistic help. Mm-hmm. And if they decide that, take that out of abortion and put it into, do I want to hire that person? Are they going to be able to make a good decision? Is that give? Are these laws going to give people the right to say, mm. women aren't great at making decisions. We need them to think about stuff. And then if you add on top of that, criminalizing and demonizing abortion and calling it baby murder and saying, how can you walk in there and slaughter your child? Now, you're an evil person, a cold-blooded killer Mm -hmm. who can't make good decisions, gives this white supremacist system all of the tools that it needs to say you don't deserve all the rights because you're bloodthirsty and you're incompetent. So that's why we got to fight hard and that's why we got to be in it because it's that subtle shit that has been so pervasive. That's the parts
0: that my philosophy mind goes to. Mm -hmm. Like, I see the top line stuff, but I'm always like, yeah, but what's driving this? Mm -hmm. There's something beneath this that drives this I remember I had to do a not I had to but I attended this thing with Cory Booker years ago at CAA where it's, for those who are CAA is an agency and I was rep- I am represented there and he had come to do a talk and like people were there it was like me and like Leslie Odom Jr. was there and there was like a room of like 20 people and he was talking about you know the Republicans and what they're doing what they're doing what they're doing and I was like okay yeah but like why though like why like why are they doing what They're doing. Like, is it, is it racist based? Is it money-based? Like, because I feel like if I can understand the psychology, I can better align where I need to like how I challenge. And he was like, I mean, that doesn't matter. And (laughs) it's all that matters. (laughs) It's all that matters. (laughs) It's the it's the intention. It's all that matters. Like, what is actually driving this. And when it comes down to it, when you talk about this paternalistic shit and the patriarchy of things, it really matters that that is at the root what is trying to desperately be held onto and white supremacy thrives because of those things. Yes.
1: And you know, you see it in larger ways all the time. You know, I mean, uh, look at well, look what's going on with the Supreme Court pick for Biden right
0: how dare he say that he's going to have a black woman they only make up 6% of the nation i mean hearing ted cruz and donald trump consider themselves victims of
1: racism i don't know where i am no i know i mean they're all they're just always perpetual victims and snowflakes but like look how much harder women and especially black women have to work the excellence with which you are judged as a Token pick yep. when you have, you know, Rapey McKegstand who gets on the bench and, and you're just like, How does this? What is this? Amy
0: does not even know the three branches of governments. No,
1: she's the one who was like, Can hey, people just drop their babies off at the fire department and what that's we fine? We like, what are what we, we, we even we doing, even doing here? here? It's just an astounding display of, you know, and like. For me to even say this to you is like embarrassing. It's like let me tell you how bad it is for black women, man. <laughs> but you know, it's like, but you know, it's just really the larger things are these like big exclamation points that that come down into the psyche of everyone, right? You can't avoid, and then this other shit that they're doing, and it just pits us all against each other. And I really, you know, part of the part of the work for me is, and I guess the reason that I I am who I am is because. You know, I grew up with no fallback, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a fallback Mm. and like the thought of marrying some rich white dude so that I could just be comfortable and having him to soil me. I can't like, there's no, I'm not laying next to a guy that I can't like for money. Like that's just not right in my cards, you know? So the fact that I was dealt cards that made me think, ew, 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 none of that feels like comfort is lucky. I'm <laughs> just lucky. So, you know, and I don't understand the people who like voted for Biden, like in Virginia. And then less than a year later, they vote for the Trumpy guy for governor. And you're like, do you not understand the process or anything? No, I don't, but they, they don't. I don't get it. But they, no one but does. For right. real,
0: they don't. Like you're here on my show because so many of us, myself included, like, don't necessarily understand how certain things got this far as they've gotten. Like, and how does that get challenged in a real way? Yeah. The script. Which brings us to our segment, The Script, where we provide folks with supplementary materials to help advance, you know, this conversation that we're having. So if there's any movies, documentaries, books, accounts to follow, I mean, everyone, please tell them when they can check out Feminist Buzzkill Live. um,
1: Yes. Oh, I have a whole bunch. I have a whole bunch. So. Run it down. Uh, so Feminist Buzzkills Live is my talk show that I do weekly with two very dope activists, Moji Alawodayel and Marie Khan, And we break down the week's news. And then we bring you an expert in the field of reproductive health rights and justice. And then a fun comedian or musician. It's kind of like the whole deal. It's like The View without Meghan McCain. Yeah. Very good. Nice. So that's fun. You know, learning about reproductive justice and people giving you stuff to do, it's incredible. Sister Song is an incredible organization out of Atlanta. Doing incredible work, running by the incredible Monica Simpson. You must read "Handbook for Surviving a Post-Roe America." The author is Robin Marty, incredible. And then, if you want to learn about the state of what it's like to be a provider and a patient, Don Porter, who is an incredible director. I don't know if you know Don, but you should know Don and talk to Don. Dawn is an incredible woman. She also did the John Lewis movie. Oh, Um, She's a Black documentarian Mm -hmm. who followed three different abortion providers in Mississippi and Alabama and Texas. Okay. It came out maybe four or five years ago. It's called Trapped. It's incredible. Yeah. So definitely um, do that. And then... I would really say sign up at Abortion Access Front. Like, if you want to figure out, like, if you want to get involved but you're just not sure, we're a good place to start. We'll ease you in. Like, we have an adopt-a-clinic program where you can, as yourself, or get together with some pals, um, clinics who are in need, who are really struggling with, like, making, getting aftercare, like, gift bags for patients or if they need, like, foot warmers or heating pads – diapers for existing children when folks come in. Clinics make wish lists and we will connect people with the clinic wish lists and help them fulfill their needs. And that's a really great place if you're like a person who is not like loud and blah, like me. And you, you know, also just a postcard program. Um sending postcards of thanks to clinics um in your area, if you just Google like abortion clinics in my area, and sending them a note saying, I'm happy you're here, and send a postcard because they're scared to open up letters because people send bad things in letters. Like, this is where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. Um, So, you know, that's also a really nice thing to do. So we have all kinds of ways. So Abortion Access Front, sign up to volunteer, and check out our resources page. We have a lot of stuff that you can do. But mostly, talk to your friends, have conversations, and um, see where people are at. I think that's really important. Talk about abortion the last dose there it
0: is bring it to the lights talk about it it is completely the work of the oppressor to make you feel like you cannot talk about the ways in which you are being oppressed that's right that's right Thank you so much, Liz.
1: Thank you, Amanda, for having me. It was so great to talk to you. I felt like we were just like hanging out. <laughs> That's
0: the idea. It was great. I want people in their car. Like they just hanging out with us. We in the backseat, chit-chatting. About That's right. Whatever we talking about. So, but no, I I just really the work that you've been doing and you continue to do is your dedication is uh, inspirational. And I really um I'm gonna take a lot from this and I have to figure out how I can. You know, add this into my practice, because the truth of the matter is, I think a lot of us, we don't realize the ways in which we are inadvertently perpetuating the efforts, because we don't make ourselves, like, aware. So thank you for helping us become aware. Thank you. A, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.